Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you guys for another episode of our View from the Clock End podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Chief Arsenal Writer of Football London, Kaya Kainer. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm good, thank you. Uh, yeah, a little bit sunburned from the the good weather we've been having over here in the UK. That I'm sure some of the the viewers will be able to see. But I am I'm soldiering through the 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 limited pain to to be here to to review what's been a, a up and down season for Arsenal, but it ended on a high, I think, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're here for. We're to look back at the season, uh, our last podcast of the 22-23 campaign. We'll have plenty more to come throughout the transfer window, I'm sure, and of course into next season as well. But the season ended with Arsenal finishing in second place with a 5-0 win over Wolves, uh, who weren't really there at the Emirates yesterday, to be honest, did not turn up in any way, shape or form and offered very little uh, challenge uh, throughout the fixture. But it was, of course, a, a very uh, comfortable win that included some memorable moments, such as a brace for Granit Xhaka ahead of what is expected to be his his swan song for the club. And Bakaya Saka, of course, marking his brand new contract with a goal as well. So, uh, yeah, some and Jakub Kivio, of course, equaling Richarlison's Premier League tally for the season, um, which is also always uh, a good thing to point out. Um, the, the season ended, and I think has divided still fans. Fans, uh, you know, across the, the world have said in some sides, it's a successful season. We've progressed. We did more than people ever expect us to. And there are others that say, well, we've not won anything. And, you know, that we kind of blew the title in some way. So where do you sit at the end of the campaign? Uh, more towards the former camp, I think. I think if you look at this season and judge it just by what Arsenal have won, you're going to call it a failure, but I don't think that's fair. I think it's been a really good season for Arsenal, and I think it's been one where they've defied expectations. I don't think anyone saw this level of title challenge coming. I don't think anyone thought that Arsenal, or most people didn't think Arsenal would be in the top four, let alone the top two of the Premier League. So to be where they have ended up is is very impressive. Of course, being in the position where you're eight points clear with I think it was eight games left to go. is is disappointing to to lose it, and it's disappointing that it's ended the way it has. But I think we've seen the the reality of competing against Manchester City, which requires you to have a near perfect squad and a near perfect record. And Arsenal couldn't quite manage that, but you know they've they've managed the record number of wins. I think the record number of goals they've ever managed in a Premier League season. So they're doing very well. They're definitely on the up. And I think anyone who chooses to focus on the lack of trophies instead of the positives is is probably serving their own agenda rather than looking at the reality of the situation most likely. Yeah, I find myself finding it difficult to disagree. I think that the season has shown what this Arsenal team, especially the first starting eleven, are capable of. And I think it's fair to say that Arsenal have a, an eleven that's capable of potentially getting 90-plus points, but they don't have a squad that's capable of getting 90-plus points. And that, in the end, was, was kind of Arsenal's downfall whilst Manchester City for all of their riches and all of their, you know, the depth that they've got also had the benefit of not necessarily experiencing the catastrophic injury issues that Arsenal suffered and kind of put into shame Eric Ten Hag's assessment of Arsenal's situation earlier on in the season where he highlighted a, a lack of injury issues for Arsenal, which seems perplexing when looking back on it now. But the final day, of course, did confirm that second place. But Mikel Arteta was quick to kind of reflect upon things and, and look immediately to the future about what he thinks is needed 
He was asked in the pre-match press conference about the need to nail the transfer window. Um, and we'll talk about transfers and what's to come in the future. But we did want to reflect on some of the things that have happened this season. Um, you may have read our article on London, which myself, Kyra and Tashan looked back at several things that happened in this season. And we talked at length about a number of them. But we thought we would revisit some of them. So can I ask you for your player of the season, Kyra? I think for player of the season, it's hard to look too far beyond Martin Erdegaard. Uh, I think he's been absolutely sublime. You've got a little tribute there on your mic stand to him. Uh, I I very Mm. much enjoyed looking at that all season, almost as much as I've enjoyed looking at him all season on the pitch because he's been absolutely superb. I think the only real question anyone had about him was could he provide that end product? Because in his first couple of seasons at Arsenal, I think maybe in that first loan spell, people were a little bit doubtful purely because... I think when COVID was a thing and fans went in the stadium to see what he was doing up close and personal, it was it was very difficult, given that he wasn't getting goals and assists, to really notice the impact he was having. But I was fortunate enough to be at some of those games and you could see that Erdegaard was clearly a player who was going to make Arsenal better. And it was a really good signing to get him in permanently. He was excellent last season. He's been even better this season. More goals than any other midfielder in the Premier League without taking a single penalty. So... Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's so much to Arsenal as well, as well as the goals. He offers leadership, not just in terms of technical ability, but being at the pitch and at the stadium, you see the way he's constantly cajoling his teammates, constantly trying to get them going, constantly trying to maintain standards. And he really works the crowd at the Emirates as well. And I think as though he feels that this is his club. I think it's different from before, where maybe he was had a bit of a nomadic existence early on in his career. He was hopping around from loan to loan to loan, various places in Holland, Sociedad, Obviously, started in Norway, didn't work out from Madrid, but he seems to have found his home at Arsenal. And yeah, I, I don't think you can name uh, too many better players. Obviously, Saka might be a shout. Xhaka could have been a shout. Uh, maybe you want to look at Martinelli, who's the top scorer. But for me, it's got to be Martinelli. Guard. I think he's been fantastic all season. Yeah, he was mine too, um, for all the reasons that you highlighted them more. And uh, if I am to pick kind of a, a, a number two, if you like, for me, it's Gabriel Magalash. I, I think that he has been absolutely outstanding. Um, the whole season would talk surrounded Saliba and how Saliba was the guy that was taking Arsenal to the next level. And the fact that we missed him so dearly in the end of the season was certainly evidence of that even further. But, you know, not only did Gabriel partner Saliba brilliantly, but in his absence, tried his absolute hardest as well to kind of maintain that defensive rigidity. It wasn't always perfect, of course, but I think if you look across the whole season, the context of the season, what we've seen from him, we signed him for you know, just over £20 million back in 2020, and I think he's developed into one of the Premier League's best centre-halves now. And another amazing piece of business by the club, a very shrewd piece of business by the club, and what he combined with Zinchenko in particular, as Zinchenko's role would be defined as an inverted fullback that would drift into midfield, that would be adventurous, that would you know, become a real part of the attack. He knew that he would have to cover greater areas than he ever had before, where Kieran Tierney had perhaps more defensive astuteness than... Uh, than Zinchenko and often more defensively, he had more coverage with with Tierney next to him. But with Zinchenko, he had greater responsibility defensively. And I think he covered himself in plenty of glory across the course of the season. And hopefully next season with Saliba back, we see that combination, you know, resurrected and, and certainly improved again. Moment of the season. What did you go for? It's hard to look too far beyond. And there have been a lot of good moments this season, you know, there's the the late winner against Manchester United, the late winners 
that came earlier in the season, the comebacks, all those kind of things. Uh, Fulham, early season comeback, Gabriel Magalhaes, you mentioned there, your player, your second best player of the season um, with his little comeback routine of his own. Um, you know, there's so many, but it's it's hard to look beyond Reese Nelson. And that goal against Bournemouth. And I think it's funny how when you're watching games of football, suddenly you feel that everything you do impacts a scenario. And I was watching on and I was I was sort of, Thinking back to the last sort of title charge that Arsenal was sort of in 2015-16 where they pushed Leicester, well, sort of, all the way to the end and um, then obviously overtook Spurs and Spurs finished third in a two-horse race, which was very funny. But uh, Danny Welbeck's goal against Leicester at the Emirates, that last kick of the ball, that was what was in my mind when Martin Odegaard went over to take that corner. And as, as the ball was sort of headed out, I was I was thinking to myself, oh, you idiot, why were you thinking that? You've jinxed it, you made it impossible. It's impossible for it to repeat itself if you think about it, all that kind of stuff. And then, obviously, it falls to Reese Nelson. And normally, I'd be tapping away at my keyboard at that point, finishing off my player ratings. But for some reason, I just, just I, it felt like I had to keep watching as the ball sort of looped all the way down in slow motion and then suddenly at the second Reese Nelson hit it the the, the 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 world just sped up a little bit it just went that bit faster it just went flying into the top corner beyond Neto just so much to love about that I, I still if, if you haven't heard it the ask cast have done a superb like montage of all the foreign commentary of that goal and I just if I'm feeling down I'll just listen to it because it just picks me up and the the high pitched noises I made sat next to you, Tom. I don't think even dogs could hear them. The, the the octaves that my voice was able to get to at that point, and I tried to keep it relatively low key in the press box, but I couldn't hold myself at that point. It was just, it's something I'll never forget, and it's the kind of thing that, you know, aside from an amazing moment on the day, going forward for Arsenal, and when they're looking to come back in games, for example, Southampton, obviously they didn't come back to win it, but they came back from three one down with two late goals, and there's lots of teams that are going to probably come to the Emirates and cause Arsenal problems and they're going to have to go late to do it and moments like that where you prove you can do it and you prove you can win in separate separate contexts as Artest said at the time that makes it so much easier going forward and it's a massive moment for Arsenal it felt like the kind of moment that title winning teams do unfortunately that didn't turn out but regardless of how the season ended I don't think that takes any of the shine off that moment it was it was terrific yeah it was it was a brilliant moment um I've never had such emotion in the stadium, you know, with people, you know, uh, there are people older than me that will remember back very fondly moments through Arsenal's history that they were there to to experience or people abroad that have watched moments, you know, that they'll be attached to forever. But that will be a moment that goes down in my mind. And was my moment of the season two. Again, I'll, I'll go to my second place um, and seeing a ball strike the back of one of my least favourite footballers' heads and land in the back of the net to give you a massive victory to then send again a press box into a state of uh, celebration for some and anger for others was an amazing moment uh, as well. And Jorginho being the guy to to strike that ball after all of the kind of... um, disparaging comments really when he was signed by so many um underrating that signing and taking it for granted somewhat you know as an element of justice there so much justice you know justice context all over the place with that goal and uh emmy martinez being the victim of it was just perfect um and yes yeah, so i'd certainly put that down as the uh 
as my second behind Nelson best uh, best moment of the season. And, and I think rightly so. Um, in terms of who you think has improved the most throughout this campaign, we've seen a significant improvement for the whole squad, you know, a significant points turnaround in our favour um, to finish where we finish and get into the Champions League. But who do you think out of everyone has progressed from where they were at the start to where they are now in your mind? Yeah, I've gone for Granit Xhaka. Um, I, I, I just think he's gone to a level that none of us expected. And he, you know, as Arsenal have got better, he's managed to maintain that level. And I don't think anyone really expected it from him. I think people thought that he might be one of the players to be left behind as Arsenal went on to become a challenging for the Premier League side under Mikel Arteta. Many thought that his position, that left eight position, maybe he wasn't dynamic enough. He didn't get forward enough. And it seems like Mikel Arteta arguably questioned that too. And he said it to, to Xhaka at the end of last season. He said, look, I'm going to ask you to do more going forward. I need more from you. Even though Xhaka had, had a pretty good season last season and obviously he, he began to manage to work his way back into the, the good books of the Arsenal fans after those tricky times, Crystal Palace, difficult start to his life in North London, the, the being stripped of the captaincy, all the drama there. But he 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 just started to get things on track and Arteta's saying, no, that's not good enough. We need even better from you. And, and Jacka's reaction to that was superb. He went back in training the next day, came back to pre-season four kilos lighter and, and has has been superb this season. The, the attacking contribution, nine goals. I don't think anyone saw that coming from Granit Xhaka. And the way he goes into the penalty box, those late runs, they're invaluable. And it's gotten to a point now where Arsenal aren't thinking, how do we get better than Granit Xhaka? It's sort of like, how do we replace what he's leaving behind in the team? Fill that void that he's had. Because when Fabio Vieira's come in, when Emil Smith-Rowe's come off the bench to play that role sometimes, even when other players have been moved in, Trossard has played central at times, it's just not the same. It's just not as good. And... That's a really specific role. And we know, obviously, midfield's an area that Arsenal are targeting in January, uh, sorry, in the summer. And we'll get on to maybe transfers a little bit later. But Declan Rice, if he does come in, has got big shoes to fill when it comes to Granit Xhaka because he's gone to levels that none of us thought possible. And th- I guess the best thing about it is that there is definitely, a, I think we all agree, an opportunity to go even better than that. A player who gets 10, 15 goals every season from that position would be superb for Arsenal. And it's something that is going to be difficult to find in the transfer market, but it's it's the task that faces Edu. But I think he's the most improved player at Arsenal this season. And it's it's really nice that he's had the finale that he's had to his Arsenal career because it was so down, but it's it's ended on such a high. And uh, yeah, really happy for him and really happy that he got such a great finale yesterday as well. Yeah, look, I mean, the expectation that we can upgrade on the number of goals that Jack has provided from that position, I think he's he's actually expected maybe a bit too much because you look at the player that Man City used in that position, Gundogan, um, being the one that comes to mind, and he has nine goals this season. Um, Bernardo Silva last season playing that role a lot, uh, got seven, I think. So, you know... I'd love for us to get a, a player in in the left role that's giving us double digits like Odegaard is. Um, but frankly, if Arsenal can find someone that can match what Xhaka has produced, but also give us more perhaps defensively and, you know, in transition, I think that's that's absolutely what we've got to aim towards. So, yeah, it's a testament to what he's produced this season. And, and um, it was nice to see what happened in the game against Wolves take place. Um, I went for Alexander Zinchenko as mine, I, mainly because I saw a player go from being a backup in a title-challenging team 
to an absolutely integral part of a title-challenging team um, this season. I think that that position at that left-hand side is is obviously transformed the way that Arsenal play. I think it's been able to kind of, if it, in a way, it's kind of Arteta's last piece of the puzzle that was needed for what he wanted to achieve when he's got all of the best players on the field, how he wants his team to perform. He needed that player. And until this season, he didn't have that player. And I think that we've now discovered what, you know, a benefit that can be. Yes, toward the end of the season, there was a lot of questions around, you know, defensively. But for me, every team has its weaknesses. You know, Man City have their weaknesses. Real Madrid have their weaknesses. And I think you kind of just have to accept in a way that when you play a certain way, there are going to be faults. And I think one of the faults in our team, obviously, is the the vulnerabilities that Zinchenko has. But the pro- not the problem, the benefit of Zinchenko is that what he brings you going in the other way is so far outweighing the drawbacks that it's it's not a question for me about playing somebody else or um, especially against games where we're, we know we're going to ha- have a lot of the ball. I think there are probably two, three games in a season when I think we're not going to have the most of the ball. And they're the two games against Man City and potentially... Man United away or Liverpool away, you know, they're the games where you're not going to have most of the ball. And they're the games where maybe you can throw a Tommy Asu into that left-back position if you want to be more secure. But I think for the 95% of the season, less than that maybe slightly, I think Zinchenko is absolutely the right pick for all of those games and will give us so much um, when we need him to. So, yeah, they're the two... Uh, there too for you. Of course, let us know down in the comment section if you've got any different choices or the same, but let us know your reasons because perhaps that you um, perhaps you don't have one. In terms of we've talked as their best moment, best player uh, and most improved player uh, from the season. We'll finish these kind of end of season awards, if you like, with the what if. Um, I'll give you mine quickly. It's if Saka had received that pass from Martinelli at Anfield is is my what if. If he'd have received that ball and scored Saka um, and we'd have won there, I wonder what may have happened between now and this. I wonder what would have happened in that next West Ham game and then in the Southampton game and then perhaps going into Man City with momentum. Who knows what would have happened? But uh, that's mine. What's yours? Uh, it's yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of what if moments for Arsenal this season. What if Saka had scored that penalty against West Ham? Mm. Uh, what if you know Gabriel Jesus had been fit throughout that whole period where he was out injured? Uh, but for me, the the biggest one. And actually, sorry, just before I get onto that, I just want to give a shout out to some of our listeners who have put in questions along the themes of sort of biggest improvement. And Curtis says which player made the biggest improvement. We answered that, and he also asked who was the most regress player this season maybe we can answer that after this but um also Fuad said how do you rate the season out of 10 so maybe we can do that after we've done this but also uh best player this season which we've already done but what if moment um for me is what if Mikel Arteta hadn't played William Saliba against Sporting Lisbon I know that um obviously the injury had flared up against Fulham in the game prior and it could have happened at any time it could have happened in training it could have happened the, the game after but I think we all would have accepted it if he got injured in the Premier League game in that game against Sporting Lisbon, which obviously I ultimately lost. And, you know, I don't think they were too fussed about losing that. I do just wonder, you know, did Arteta have to go that strong? Did he have to play, pardon me, both Saliba and Gabriel in such a relatively meaningless game, given what was on the horizon? And we all knew that the title challenge was coming. And Arteta went very strong throughout the whole of the Europa League campaign. He never really 
you know, used it as an opportunity to blood the youngsters like maybe he had done in the past. And I do wonder if he regrets that a little bit, just given how tired some of the players looked, how tired Bakaya Saka, for example, looked when he was starting games like Bodo away. You know, could you have given him a rest? But yeah, William Saliba against Sporting, that will always be a what-if moment for me because I don't think he should have been playing that game. I think Rob Holding would have been fine in that match. I think he did fine when he came on. But you wanted Saliba to be fit for Anfield. You wanted him to be fit for the Etihad. You wanted him for those games. You didn't want him for Lisbon at home. So that, for me, is the is the biggest what-if. Yeah, fair enough. I think, yeah, Saliba, you know, his absence has been the biggest impact at the end of the season to, to cost Arsenal potentially a title. Um, and that has to inform the transfer window. And we'll talk about transfers uh, with with your questions, because uh, you've been sending in plenty. You did mention that you wanted to discuss the regression sides. I struggled to get past Emil Smith-Rowe um, as being that player. But there's also part of me that thinks that if you want to kind of take the question, maybe the player that's kind of played, <laughs> you know, because Smith Rowe hasn't played. And I think Fabio Vieira, who was signed for £34 million and played a lot of football last season for Porto and scored a lot of goals and got a lot of assists, you know, coming into the Premier League, I think in people's minds, in terms of a perception of a player who people didn't know much about, did a lot of research on, you know, we saw him. Um, score a lot of goals in, in Portugal and, and create a lot as well. I think his the, the people's perception of him as a player has probably gone down the most. Because I think from Smith Rowe's point of view, a lot of people still really rate the guy and really think that he could have a future at Arsenal. But with Vieira, I think that it's it's I don't think there's been a player that is in the mindset of the fans has dipped as much as him. So he would be my pick. What about you? <laughs> Fair enough. I mean I think in the article that we did, which hopefully all the audience and listeners will, will go out and, and, and read after this, but I think I went for, I sort of gamed the system a bit and I didn't feel I could pick an Arsenal player because I think most of them have been so good. So <laughs> I just went I, I just went for a Charleston. I just thought it was funny. Uh, um, you mentioned <laughs> him earlier. Yeah. Same number of goals of Jakob Kibbe. I think I picked uh, Rob Holding. So. Oh yeah? yeah? Okay, fair enough, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, more more uh, yellow cards for taking a shot off, celebrating goals than actual goals scored. Amazing stats, Spursy <laughs> stats. Yeah, and uh, yeah, a superb addition to that Spurs cannon. I think we're all I think we're all very happy to see him at Tottenham because uh, I don't think it could have happened to a nicer team, unfortunately. Indeed, no, yeah, and just to caveat that that Rob Holding comment, I, I, I put Rob Holding down because he just isn't William Saliba. Um, that's that's the only reason I put him in. He's, he's just not William Saliba. Um, he, he gave as much as he can give, I think, but uh, that's just not the level that you know we're at now as a club for us. So yeah, um, continuing with questions from from those sent in on social media, have you got one to hand that you want to throw? In? Yeah, yeah, we can we can sort of. Part two of the question from Fuad was, how do you rate the season out of 10? Mm. I go with an eight for me. Um, I said a trophy would have taken it to a nine and a title would have taken it to as close to a 10. Um, So if we'd have won the FA Cup or the League Cup or the Europa League, I would have gone with a nine. If we'd have won the league, it would have been probably a a 10 for me. So that's, (laughs) that's how I caveat it, yeah. Yeah, I think you think if a team wins the Premier League, you can't really give it any lower than a ten. Um, I'm always but, one. The former teacher in me always goes, "Well, there's always room for improvement." <laughs> it's true, so, you know. it's true. But I don't yeah. think any of any of us would have been bothered about the room for improvement at that point if they'd won mm. the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, for so, me, probably. Yeah. 
eight is about right, I think. Um, but I don't want to do the exact same one that you did. So let's go. <laughs> um, I'll be slightly more. I'll go 8.5 just to be a little yeah. bit more positive. Um, Fair enough. Maybe Fair enough. the Europa League campaign could have been better. And that's probably something I'll have to deal with next season is the idea of European football because they've, they've never, under Mikel Arteta, done that well in Europe. So that's something I think they can they can certainly look at improving on. That's your 1.5. And obviously, the, the final stretch against Man City is something that needs to be worked on too. You know, we've had, I think, is it what, five attempts at the Europa League? Um, knocked out by Atletico Madrid, Olympiacos, um, obviously beaten in the final by Chelsea beaten by Sporting this season. Was it four? Am I forgetting one? Um, oh, they were out of Europe for a season, weren't they? So yeah. yeah, so it was four. Four attempts at the Europa League. And for a side as big as Arsenal, and you look at the teams that won those tournaments, I know Atleti, you'd probably say... Well, there's the one under Wenger, wasn't there? Sorry. so uh, Which was the Atletico Madrid one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we lost in the semi-final again, and that was his last season. Um to get a European trophy. Yeah, so. I think it's five because it's seven years outside the uh, outside the Champions yeah, League, yeah. isn't it? Because uh, Wenger lost to, to Atleti. Unai Emery was beaten in the final by Chelsea. Chelsea. Arteta then took over and lost to Olympiacos. And then we finished... Uh, no, we finished in... We won the FA Cup that year. So we were in the Europa League the yeah. following year. We lost in the semis to Villarreal. Villarreal, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> and and then, we'd, all, we'd all like to forget. Uh, all like to erase from our memories, I think. Forgotten. Yeah. Um, year out and then of course sporting uh, so five it's five out of six years I think it's a massive underachievement from Arsenal's perspective of the club of yeah. their size that they didn't win the Europa League at least once in those five attempts um, I hope that we don't go back into the competition I do think it's a shame and a bit of a, a, an underachievement that Arsenal didn't win the Europa League in any of those years uh, we had a great chance to, to beat Atleti when we faced them um, I think the first leg is where ultimately if we'd have maybe gone to uh, the Metropolitano with with that Leeds, unfortunately, it was cancelled yeah. out very late on with Griezmann, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Vasarka uh, had been sent off, hadn't he? So they were down to ten. Yeah, and you Thomas Partey at right back that, that night for Atletico Madrid, wasn't it? So yeah. that's that's how. Yeah. Uh, who'd have thought we'd see that at the Emirates again? I know. Um, and then, honestly, Unai Emery fell apart in my view, in my head, uh, just my view of him with that final performance in the Europa League. It was one of the worst Arsenal performances in a final. Um, against Chelsea. Um, but then the way we lost to Olympiacos and the Aubameyang miss at the end of that game as well, you know, was massive. So, yeah, some times I'd rather forget from the Europa League, but hopefully we can get some times to remember from the Champions League uh, in the forthcoming season. Um, King asked on Twitter, Kings Football S, who is Arsenal's most important player this season and will it be the same player next season? Um, <laughs> I think that I think for me, the answer is William Saliba <laughs> this season because he proved to be so important because his absence ultimately cost us. Um, will he be the most important? I hope not because then we would have signed somebody who can come in that if Saliba is absent or needs to be rested or rotated, that he no longer becomes that important. And so that would probably be how I would answer that question. I think to be fair, if if Tommy Asu hadn't got injured on the same night as Saliba maybe the Arsenal squad as is probably would have been able to get away with it. I think Ben White at centre-back, as we've seen over the past couple of games, is, you know, good. Not not Saliba level, but good. And probably would have been enough to get Arsenal over the line. Um, but, yeah, it was an unfortunate turn of events. And they definitely do need to sign another centre-back this summer. Arteta was very coy on whether Tommy Asu will be back for pre-season. It doesn't look particularly good early doors on that front, I think. 
Um, yeah, so I'd probably argue Saliba. And then you're looking sort of beyond if, if they were to drop out of the team, who would you miss the most? I think obviously Odegaard would be massive if they missed him. Saka too. Uh, Jesus is is huge if, if he's out. But yeah, it's, it's hard to look too far beyond Saliba. I think he is massive and integral because it's not just the defensive side of things, is it? It's, it's what he gives Arsenal off the ball. He allows them to play that bit higher up the pitch. He distributes to Saka down the right so well. And the Arsenal attacking unit in general just looks so much better with him in it. So, yeah, I think Saliba's definitely uh, established himself as one of the most important players in the team. Lovely stuff. You've got a question? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, this one's from Facebook. Uh, who? Uh, so we've got Abba Karish who says, what is the truth regarding Partey and Smithrow leaving Arsenal this summer? So when it comes to Partey, there's always been those links to Italy uh, that are running our sister site, The Mirror, uh, from John Cross, who was, you know, been very good on the Granite Jacker stuff, was there first on that. So, you know, that that probably carries a decent bit of weight. I personally haven't been able to to hear anything on that myself. But uh, Smith Rowe, plenty of Premier League teams interested in him. Uh, he's obviously very frustrated with the, the lack of game time he's been getting. But um, I think for him, it's, it's a difficult one because he's obviously got three years left on his contract at Arsenal. So if he wants to leave, Arsenal are going to have to basically agree to sell him. And if Arsenal want to hold on to him for another year, um, that sort of leaves him a bit hamstrung unless he wants to really try and force out a move, which I can't see him doing at the club, you know, he's sort of grown up at. And it seems unlikely. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to think he'll get more chances next season when he's fully fit. And hopefully, you know, he can be used. Um, maybe some of those minutes that went to Fabio Vieira could go his way or maybe Arsenal look to do something different in the central midfield position now that Granit Xhaka has gone. But um, yeah, that's that's sort of the latest on on that. What do you think should happen with both players? Would you would you like to see them both at, at Arsenal next season, or would you be sort of kind of fine with them moving on? Um, it's tough, isn't it? I think Partey, I'd like to see stay because you know we talk. I talk a lot about the the idea of we need to reinforce rather than replace. And I think if you're replacing players, you're just giving yourself. You're not actually solving necessarily as much as as you could be. I think. Depth has always been the thing. If you lose Xhaka, if you lost Partey in the same window, you know, I kind of question why that's the pathway we're choosing to go down. Um, Guna J at Jackie two seven seven zero four four zero seven two, which I'm hoping isn't his phone number. Uh, on Twitter says, uh, is there is there any truth in the Smith Rowe rumours? And if so, can we fetch seventy million or alternatively fifty million for the sell on clause or a buyback clause? Um, I like you know, there are loads of of clubs that would love Smith Rowe. We're not privy to the kind of the finer details of what's gone on this season um, as to kind of why he's dropped down the pecking order specifically. Um, Reese Nelson has certainly raised his game and that has been one of the big reasons that Mikel Arteta has looked to him over Smithrow. Of course, the injury and the surgery and how he's responded to that has played a part, but there has been clear times where you look at when he's being brought on or when he's not being brought on and you're thinking like what is the benefit of bringing him on now and alternatively why aren't you bringing him on in these like the Nottingham Forest game when you're you know you need a goal or two and you're not bringing Smith Rowe off the bench you're going well, why is he not coming off the bench why are you not giving him an opportunity um yeah so go on I feel like you want to jump in no, we've we've done some stuff on um, FO about the, the Smith Rowe situation in terms of the him being left out, and uh, it's 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 he's come back since the injury. He's he's pain free. 
he's he's there he's doing well in training all the reports from training are positive uh he's lost weight his physique is much leaner than it ever has been before he's setting personal records when it comes to um you know pace physicality all those kind of things and uh it, he's not had any conversations with arteta there's no not been any specific sort of you need to do this to be in the team and all that kind of stuff despite the fact that when we asked him in a press conference he was saying you know uh, emil knows how much i love him that kind of thing it doesn't seem like he's had any one-on-one chats with him so yeah that's the that's the situation there and there's not been an awful lot of communication i wonder if maybe now the season's over they'll, they'll have a little bit more of a of a chat but um as it stands it doesn't seem to have been any sort of any talks going on between the two of them yeah we'll see uh i think i'd be surprised if a team like villa say don't come back in for, for him i knew naimer he's a big big fan um so we'll have to wait and see how that one transpires um i've got a question from liam um at rtr underscore liam on twitter who says considering arsenal scored 88 goals in the premier league which is a, a record uh, for arsenal in the premier league uh, the most they've ever done do you need to buy do they need to buy a forward or should it be all about the defensive midfielders and defenders this summer? I'd certainly prioritise the the midfielders and the defenders, I think, this summer. I, I wouldn't look to prioritise a forward at all. I also think Arsenal have a few good youngsters coming through in the forward line in Koji Dubri and uh, uh, Ethan Winery. Obviously, a little bit far off. Winery's future is still undecided, but a little bit far off uh, first team level just now. But as things stand with Smith Rowe, with Reese Nelson, with Saka, with Trossard, with Jesus, with Eddie with Balogun still, his future to be decided, uh, with Martinelli. You know, there's there's so many options up front and Vieira can play on the wingers, can play up front too. So I just, I don't quite know if it's if it's 100% necessary. I wonder if maybe that'll be one they leave until January if the team really needs a bit more firepower. But yeah, I, I think they're pretty set up front. I think that the areas, as the, the question asker says there, that need to be focused on are definitely defence. We've spoken about already. They need someone who can provide more... Uh, sort of level back up to Saliba ideally someone who can play anywhere across the back line would be great but someone who can you know play back up to Saliba and they, they need a couple of midfielders I think so yeah those are the areas I'd say they need to to focus on the most I, I don't think it's necessarily a case of them needing to splash out big money on a forward and I know Musa Diaby's been linked quite heavily but I just I don't think that's uh, a massive concern for Arsenal right now but you know I'm happy to be proved wrong yeah I think um I agree in the sense of the priorities absolutely should be midfield and defence, but I am privy to the idea of bringing in a sense of forwards. Um, I think that Jesus can provide some really good competition for Saka, actually. Uh, and I think that his ability and versatility on the wide areas means I'm not that keen on, you know, going for a, a wide player like a Diaby. And if Arsenal were keen on that, I'd rather they invested that money into a centre forward um, instead. For me, the Inketia thing is I, I look at Arsenal and I look at what Arsenal want to be which is a team that challenges for titles and I'm looking at my scores and I'm looking at every player in that team and I'm going is that player going to be part of a title challenging team and I just can't see Eddie Nketiah being a player that is part of a team that challenges for a title and succeeds um, I just don't think he offers enough that's different to Gabriel Jesus um, and for me I, if you know, I don't think that Manchester City would look to to have him in, I think you look at the alternative to to Haaland being Julian Alvarez and the the, out, the difference between Nketiah and Alvarez, I think, is significant. Um, and so I think Arsenal need to bring in a competitive 
option. I think Arsenal signed Julian Alvarez and he genuinely competes with Gabriel Jesus for a starting spot. But I don't think that happens with Nketiah, even if, say, Julian Alvarez was the starting striker at Man City. So I think that the Arsenal, if they are going to bring in a forward, it should be a centre-forward. And you have to then, I think, look for some variation to give Arta to some something different, you know, in problem-solving in certain teams. Because you're going to go up against sides that Jesus is ineffective against or he's having an off game. You need to do something different. And I'm not sure that throwing Nketiah on and his stats when coming on as a sub certainly support that gives you enough difference um so yeah i'd look to bring in a, something more physical question we've got a couple yeah. more i think we've got uh one from moon sport official on twitter he says uh how many players do you think arsenal are going to sign this summer um so do you think it's just another summer where they need five or six or do you think it's a case of just two or three this summer uh i think it's hopefully the last summer that we need five or six um i think i I looked at last at the end of last summer in 2022. I was like, right, that's that's the overhaul of Arsenal done, and now I'm looking forward to us going into windows where it's adding two really good players each season, a bit like Man City does. But actually, I think this season has shown us that we need to still add. I think five good, especially with Xhaka going being a key part. So if Xhaka was staying, maybe it was one less. But I think with Xhaka going as well is a key part, and I think that you look at. Um, Right-back slash right-sided centre-back is potentially somewhere. I think if you bring in a right-back, Ben White offers you something at right-sided centre-back, but also you can bring in, say, a right-sided centre-back to offer you something and White and Tomiyasu with those right-back areas. But also, I'd like something different at right-back as well in terms of something maybe that if you want to take off Ben White because we need a goal, you can bring on something more attacking um, to that position. Uh, I think with Tierney going, that you need to look at bringing in a competitor to Zinchenko and offer something. I've written a piece about Rafael Guerrero at Dortmund being available on a free transfer, um, six goals and 14 assists this season and some great experience there and still 29 years of age, you know, I think on a three-year contract, that's be great, you know, and he won player of the month for the Bundesliga playing in centre midfield. So he offers that. If, if you're trying to get rid of the bottling tag though, I'm not sure Sonia Borussia Dortmund player is, is the angle you want to go down. You wouldn't have to do then if I offered you one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, touche, touche, touche. <laughs> No, I, 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 I take the point as as jest. I think that, uh, you know, I, I tweeted saying, I don't think personally Arsenal bottled it, but Dortmund no. certainly did. Um, you know, beating Mainz at home to win the title, you'd back anyone nine, 99 times out of 100 to do that. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, getting back, I think, um, yeah, I think that the right back slash right side, centre back, left back, I think two central midfielders of top quality are needed. Um, and potentially, as I say, a, a centre forward um, to, to come in as well. Or you keep following Balogun and see how he does. Um, but I don't see that happening. What about you? I think I'm more in the two or three camp. I think if you can get a, a fullback who can play both sides, uh, Cancelo would be superb if you can get him in. <laughs> Amazing if you can get him. Uh, a centre back and maybe uh, two central midfielders. I just think the way the squad's stacked at the minute in terms of Partey, Jorginho, Elneny all being there. Um, buying another six, I don't know if there's room for this in the squad. I think you'd have to move one of those on and I can't see Jorginho going. I can't see Elneny going. And would you want to get rid of Partey? I don't know. Um, but I, I'd love to see Rice and Caicedo come in. That'd be amazing if you can get them both. But... Uh, I just I don't know I, I don't quite feel that that's um, that's on the cards for Arsenal as things stand. That's just opinion, not um, you know insight or anything. But yeah, uh, 
signing both of them, you know, I wrote this morning about how, you know, the idea of a three hundred million pound summer, you know, is that something that's beyond the realm of expectation with Arsenal anymore? Or is it actually something that we could see happen? You know, Arsenal to spend that amount of money, it I think would take significant sales um to take place. I think you'd need to move on Tierney for a good amount of money. I think Balogun would have to be moved on for a good amount of money. I think Smith Rowe potentially would have to be moved on for a good amount of money. Um but if you want to sign Rice and Caicedo, you're then getting close to two hundred million just for two players. And I think Arsenal want a creative midfielder. I think they want one, maybe even two defenders, um, and who knows about a forward player. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at a lot more than 200 million if you're getting all of them. So I think it's not, un- I don't think it's as crazy as what it maybe was a year ago to suggest Arsenal might spend 200, uh, 300 million in a window. But I think there are a lot of caveats alongside it still. Yeah. Um, so they'll, they'll get more money. They'll get 30 mil for being in the Champions League. I think they get 8 million for finishing second as opposed to fifth, as in 8 million more. Uh, so that's near, I think, 200 odd million just for just for being in the in the second place in the league, which is amazing, crazy money. Um, so and broadcast revenues are good. If they get some high profile Champions League ties, that will bring in a bit of money as well. Match day revenue is fantastic for Arsenal at the minute. Stadium sells out every week. You know, that's a huge part. I think Arsenal are the, the most reliant team on uh, match day revenue in the Premier League. So that stuff is all good. But um, they do eventually want to get back to the self-sustaining model. Uh, they don't just want to stay, you know, investing in the team as they have done without anything coming back, which I think is fair enough. So that's got to be the the long term aim for Arsenal. When you when you start to do the maths like that, three hundred million does sound like a lot, but they've shown they're willing to spend hundred million pound nearly on Mudrick in the past if they think the deal's right. So if they think the deal's right, they'll go for it. And um, financially, Arsenal are in a, a good position right now. So I think we could see some some decent investment over the summer. Yep, I agree. Uh, I've got one more. From where is it? I've lost it. Um, kind of links into what we're discussing with Rice and Caicedo. Mark O'Connor says uh, at Marcus underscore Maximus underscore says everyone seems to discuss Caicedo as a six slash eight in the same breadth as Rice. Um, but given he has been playing right back recently, isn't he a great answer to the right sided version of Zinchenko as an inver- uh, inverted fullback? It's a really good spot. It's a really I've not heard anyone make that point, but yeah, possible. Mm. Um, in the same way, I guess Thomas Partey has been doing it over the past couple of games. I mm. don't think it would be ideal. And I think you'd rather have Ben White or Takahiro Tomiassi playing the role instead. But yeah, why not? I think it could work if Arsenal can get him in. And that, of course, would be another reason why Mikel Arteta would want him. He, he wants that versatility. Um, I, honestly, this is just a question mark without seeing Caicedo in depth. But I, I would wonder if he's as good on the ball as the likes of Zinchenko to be able to play that role. Partey is so technically sufficient, whereas I don't know if Caicedo is on that level. But I've seen really good things from him in the glimpses I've seen. And I think he's going to be a very good player. And Roberto De Zerbi all but confirmed that he's going to leave this summer. So clearly... You know, that was really odd. It was a bit odd. Him and McAllister both sort of seem to be on their way out of Brighton. But something's mm. clearly on the horizon there. Uh, I wonder if that's Arsenal. I wonder if that's another team. But yeah, it would be a fantastic signing for us if they can get him. Make no mistake about that. And they certainly won him, you know. They they really, really went for him in, in January. Um a number of occasions putting in some huge amounts of money. And yeah, you know, recent you know, in retrospect we discovered around kind of the idea that the rice was still the priority, but there was no way of getting him out of, of West Ham in January, and so they moved for Caicedo, but it turned out to be a very similar situation there with 
Um, the bids being rejected and Brighton, you know, very frustrated in the end with the whole situation. And I think Caicedo equally so. But it seems that there'll be a resolution this summer, whether it's Arsenal. We'll wait and see. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, um, I think that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, uh, that's that's about it. It's been a fantastic season uh, for Arsenal. And thank you everyone for listening throughout the season and supporting us throughout the season and reading our stuff and all that kind of stuff. We'll keep you going throughout the summer. That's obviously going to keep coming. Uh, football never stops. It never stops. So there'll always be something going on. There'll always be a story, especially with a big club like Arsenal. And it's going to all be transfer stuff, I guess, going forwards. So keep an eye out for that on the FL website and uh, we'll try and keep you as informed as we possibly can. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow Kai on Twitter at KaiKarnet97 at Tom Cantor Media is where you can find myself. You can follow us, of course, on socials with Football London and the Arsenal Football London page as well. And all of the written work that you'll find from myself and Kai is over at football.london. Lots of transfer updates, lots of views and opinions on different targets. And we're aiming to bring a lot of expert insight, hopefully this summer, on transfer targets as well, which I'm excited for because um, there's going to be a lot of players that I'm going to need to learn a lot more about, I sense. So looking forward to that um, as well as all the breaking news that we get as well so make sure that you are across everything there uh, thank you for listening do drop a like on the video leave any of your comments or thoughts that we've talked about today be that your player of the season moments what ifs regrets all of that lovely stuff and reflective action um, and any of the co- obviously the conversation about transfers any of your thoughts on that leave them down below as well we're going to try and do these as regularly as we can uh, across the window so uh, keep an eye on our Twitter feeds when we ask for questions and thank you to all the listeners that have indeed submitted questions and sorry to those that we couldn't quite get to um, but we appreciate the efforts all the same thank you for listening drop a like subscribe leave a review if you can and as always keep following us down the arsenal way with our view from the clock